Welcome to all of you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. Delighted to welcome you to worship on this beautiful Lord's Day in the overflow. God bless you guys. Participate in worship with us. Grab your Bibles if you would. Franklin Campus, Perry, Oklahoma, we love you so much. God bless you. Uh, I've been waiting a long time to say open to the book of John. A new message series entitled H2O. H2O, of course, this simply means water. One of the amazing things about the Gospel of John is that pretty much anywhere you open it up and drill down, you're going to find water. For John, water is a very, very important way of talking about who Jesus is. And in every instance of water, there's going to be some revelation of, of who Jesus is in the world, who Jesus is in the plan of salvation, and who Jesus is to be in my life and your life. So uh, open to the book of John. To start, turn all the way to the back. We're going to go all the way through the book of John together. Uh, but sometimes it helps to go to the back of the book first. So go to the back of the book first. Go to the end of the Gospel of John. I want to point out two things to you. First off, look at chapter 20, verse 30. Chapter 20, verse 30. Sometimes in reading a book, it's good to, to, to find out what kind of book you're reading and what the purpose of the book is. And John tells you right here in, in chapter 20, verse 30, what, the, what this book is about. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Why is this gospel written? So that you may believe. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you will have life and power in his name. Now, I've been saying John, and we call this the Gospel of John, but I want to sort of introduce you to a mystery when it comes to the Gospel of John, and that is we really don't know who wrote the Gospel of John. We always say John, and John is probably the best guess that we have, and if you believe John, then chances are you could be right. But I want to point out something else to you. We don't know who wrote the Gospel of John other than this little bitty hint that is included at the end of the book. Look at chapter 21, now look at verse 20. We're right at the end of the book. The last episode, it says, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple whom Jesus loved. Okay, Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then verse 24, this disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. So the only way that the author of the Gospel of John ever identifies himself is to say, I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's the only way we know who wrote the Gospel of John. It's by the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, many, many folks have studied hard and concluded that that must be John, not John the Baptist, but John the son of Zebedee, John the disciple. But the Gospel of John never says that, only that he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let me give you this, this little challenge. Read through the Gospel of John with me. And find out who the disciple whom Jesus loves is. See if you can find out. I'll give you a hint, and I don't even know what this means, but there's only one person in the Gospel of John that specifically spelled out it says that Jesus loved him. Okay? And it's not John. It's interesting, but it's not John. So read through with me. Let's try to see who the disciple whom Jesus loved is as we get into the gospel that he has written. Uh, it is called the Gospel of John, and I will continue to refer to him as John. 
When uh, beginning the gospel, the story of Jesus in the New Testament, you've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Typically, they're going to start in one of two places. They're either going to start at the birthplace of Jesus, which is Bethlehem. Are you going to start in Bethlehem or start at the Jordan River with Jesus' baptism? Either his birth or his baptism is, is typically the place where you start telling the story of Jesus. So let's start in the Gospel of John. Tell me whether he's going to start with the birth story, the baptism story, both or neither. Okay? The birth story, the baptism story, both or neither. It's more complicated than you think. More complicated than you think. Let's read together. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, well, I'm not the Messiah. Well, then who are you, they asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say about yourself? Great question. What do you have to say about yourself? John replied in the words of the prophet Isaiah. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. Then the Pharisees who had been sent asked him, if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? John told them, I baptize with water, but right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. 
Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am. For he existed long before me. I didn't recognize him as the Messiah, but I've been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus, so I testify that he is the chosen one of God. Take your seats, we'll stop there for now. Starting a gospel, you usually begin with either the birth, the baptism. Which does John start with? The birth, the baptism, both or neither. It's complicated. It's complicated. In the gospel of John, get used to the fact that he's always going to tell you less than he knows and more than you know at the same time. It's just amazing what he tells and what he withholds. He knows the Bethlehem story, and he knows that you know the Bethlehem story. He doesn't tell you the Bethlehem story. He talks about the beginning of Jesus, but it's not at Bethlehem. There was a little girl talking to her grandma. She said, Grandma, how old are you? Grandma said, 72. Little girl said, what, 72? Grandma said, 72. Little girl said, did you start at one? We all start at one, or I guess you'd say zero. We all start at zero. But this is where John begins his gospel. There is one and only one who did not start at zero, <clears throat> who did not start at one. As a matter of fact, you can't even say that he started at Bethlehem. There is one who actually has no beginning at all. He is and was from the beginning God. Do you understand? When John wants to introduce you to, to Jesus, he has to go way past Bethlehem. He knows the Bethlehem story. He knows you know the Bethlehem story. But there's something else about this one that you've got to know, and that is he did not get his start in Bethlehem. He did not start at one like you started at one. He is from all eternity God himself who was made flesh and came and made his home with us. This is how the Gospel of John begins. Not with Bethlehem, but in the very beginning with God when Jesus was from the very beginning God himself. It's amazing. This is the prologue. This is the introduction to John's Gospel. But the interesting thing in John's gospel, as he's giving you this glorious introduction to God's one and only son, he stops twice in the middle of what is almost like a hymn or a poem about Jesus who was from the very beginning. He'll stop twice to say, now, I'm not talking about John the Baptist. Now, that's interesting. He stops two different times to say, now, I'm not talking about John. Because obviously, there were people 
In John's day, people that were alive when John's gospel was written, there were people who the very moment you say the light has shined in the darkness, they're going to say he's talking about John. He's talking about John the Baptist. I know that. He's talking about John. Now, that's interesting. By the time the fourth gospel, the gospel of John is written, understand there are people on three continents who follow John the Baptist. There are groups of people on three continents who follow John the Baptist. John the Baptist was one of the most amazing men that's ever lived. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said that of all people who've ever lived, John was the greatest. Jesus said that. That John the Baptist was the greatest man who's ever lived. Jesus said that. John the Baptist was, was a big deal. And that's why as, as the apostle John begins the gospel of John, he's got to stop several times and go, I'm not talking about John. I'm not talking about John. So let's just ask ourselves, who, who is this guy? Who is John? Who is John the Baptist? We call him John the Baptist. He's often called John the Baptist. But now understand, I'm talking to a room full of Baptists. And when I say John the Baptist, I'm not saying John the Baptist like we're talking about Woodburn Baptist. You understand? John the Baptist was not like the pastor of First Baptist Church, Jerusalem. Nothing like that. We're not calling him Baptist like we're Baptist. I make that clarification because some people have tried to say that. It's a way of making us as Baptists seem more important than everybody else. As if it would have been interesting if he were John the Methodist. Do you see He's called John the Baptist because he did one thing that he's most famous for, and that is baptizing. He's John the Baptizer, and sometimes I say baptizer just so there's no confusion. He's famous because in his life he was called to do one thing, and it's this one thing that he becomes known for. John baptized people. He baptized people, and so he's called John the Baptist. In his day, it was amazing when he appeared in the wilderness, and it's just like he appears. Out of nowhere, he appears and he begins to preach. He just shows up and begins to preach, and crowds of people begin coming from everywhere. They come from everywhere just to hear John preach and just to stand there on the banks of that river and be baptized by him. John the Baptist was a big deal. Such a big deal that, that one day the, the, the religious leaders from town came out simply to investigate him. So many people are following him, and the preaching and ministry of John the Baptist was becoming so very, very large in, in the whole nation that the leaders have to come out and investigate. So they come out with one question, and what's their question? Who are you? Who are you? You understand, they come from Jerusalem. They know everybody who went to seminary. They know everybody who's anybody at the temple. They know all the preachers. They know all the teachers. They know everybody, but they don't know John. Who are you? It's a pretty good question to ask yourself. As we look at this text, as, as you look at God's word, as you look at what John the Baptist says, think about yourself for a moment. If people were to come and ask you the same question today, who, who are you? How would you even answer that? 
we use the word identity to talk about it. Who, who are you? What is your identity? When you're a young person, figuring that out is, is your full-time job. And it's, it's painful and also funny sometimes to watch young people go through those phases of growing up. You ever been to a high school lately? Have you been to high school lately? And just walk down the hall? What do you see? The most awkward creatures God ever made. Teenagers, middle school, oh my goodness, God help them. It is the most, most difficult, awkward place in the world. Why? Because you have all of these people, and they're people, I promise, people. They just don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. And they're really trying to figure it out. And as I said, it's painful to watch. It's just painful. If you've ever been a parent and you've watched it happen under your own roof, it's painful to watch. Walk down the halls of your typical high school, what do you see? You'll see a whole bunch of guys still walking around with Justin Bieber hair. They got Justin Bieber hair. Why do they have Justin Bieber hair? Because they're trying out, maybe, maybe I'll be Justin Bieber. Maybe I'll be Justin Bieber. You walk down the same halls of the same high school, you'll see girls with like raccoon eyes, all this black makeup. Who are they being? Lady Gaga? Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll just be Lady Gaga. I don't know who I am. Unfortunately, you got some boys being Lady Gaga too, but that's a totally different story. They're trying to figure out, who in the world am I? And some of you are thinking, who in the world is Lady Gaga? We'll explain it to you later. <laughs> explain it to you later. Wow. Actually, those of you grown-ups, do you remember that yourself? I don't know who you tried to be. I don't know who you imitated. I don't know what group you tried to fit in with. But you're going through that very same process of trying to figure out who in the world am I? Who, who, who am I? When they come out and ask John that question, they've got some suggestions for him. They don't really just ask the open-ended question, who are you? They say, who are you, Elijah? You see, they're welcoming the opportunity to suggest to him who he's going to be. Who are you? The Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet we've been waiting for? Who are you? You see, and they're always willing to offer suggestions. And the same is going to be true for you. People will be delighted to tell you who you are. The danger is when you listen to them. You can't let other people tell you who you're going to be because they don't know. They don't know you. They don't know what God has put inside of you. You can't let other people tell you who you're going to be. They're always going to get it wrong. Other people have a tendency to, to judge you, to put you in a box based on either maybe the very best day of your life or the very worst day of your life. But one way or the other, they're going to get it wrong. Nobody in this world knows who God made you to be. They can't tell you. And John's got enough sense not to stand there and take suggestions from the crowd. They don't know who he is. That's the point. They don't know who he is. But John knows who he is, and John knows who he's not. And it's amazing, amazing when you've got a man who can stand there and know who he is and know who he's not. This is what I'm challenging you to do today. In the course of this sermon, in the matter of this Sunday, this day of worship, you've got to figure out who you are and who you're not. And you've got to find somebody who knows. Somebody who can tell you. 
It's not just high school kids. It's as you go through your life, you continue to have to sort of come back to this question. Sort of two different things that come to mind. First, we talk about identity crisis and identity crisis. You may have thought you had yourself figured out and then something happens in your life and suddenly you're not so sure who you're supposed to be anymore. Sometimes it's, it's a loss. It's the loss of your ability. And being a pastor to senior adults and a congregation of people always growing older, one of the real challenges that we face as we get older is that loss of ability. Often when we're young, we define ourselves by what we can do. But as we get older and we lose the ability to do what we used to do, all of a sudden we're faced with the question, who am I now? What what gives my life value now? What can I do if I can't serve? Am, Am I important? Do I matter at all? Sometimes it's the loss of ability. Sometimes it's a different kind of loss, the loss of a loved one. The loss of a child or the loss of a spouse, either through death or divorce, that loss will sometimes throw your whole life up in the air. Who am I now? You have been his wife for 50-something years, and all of a sudden he's gone. Who are you now? You were the parent to this child for all of those years, and that child is taken from you. Who are you now, it's a crisis of identity, and you've got to figure that out. It's, it's hard, especially if you base your identity on the people in your life or the things that you can do. There aren't just identity crises, though. There are also what I would call defining moments. There are moments in your life where you take a stand or moments in your life where you make a choice. And in that very moment, from, from the, that day forward, everything is going to go back to that moment, that, that defining moment when somehow who you are supposed to be or who you've chosen to be sort of all snaps into place. Maybe it is that day that you put down the bottle and you never pick it up and never take another drink again. Maybe that's one of those defining moments when suddenly you realize who you're supposed to be sober. Maybe it's the day when you open your heart and ask Christ simply to take over your life. Maybe it's the day when you say yes to the boy or say yes to the girl. Maybe it's the day when when suddenly you realize what God is calling you to do and be a defining moment. I don't know when John's defining moment is. He just appears, and when he appears, he's got it all together. He knows exactly who he is, and he knows who he's not. Who are you, they say. Elijah? No. The prophet? No. The Messiah? No. John says, I am a voice. I am a voice. Where did he get that? He gets that from Scripture. He gets that from Scripture. See, at some point in John's life, he's read the Bible, he's read the Word of God, and he read in the book of Isaiah this prophecy that says, I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And when John read that verse, something in him rolled over and came alive. Do you understand? When John read those words, it it was a calling to him. He recognized, that's me. He found himself in the pages of Scripture. He read that verse and he said, that's me. That's me. 
I would to God that some of you would read the Bible at some point in your life and say, my goodness, that's me. That's me. That's my name being called. That's my life right there in these pages. My God, that's me. Do you understand? This is what we're waiting for. This is why I preach. This is why God calls us here. This is why we open this book every Sunday, every day of our lives, I pray. You open these pages to say, there I am. That's me. I'm a voice, he says. I'm a voice. I am a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. He calls himself a voice. That has one message. Prepare the way of the Lord. Interestingly, in the fourth gospel, he's never really called the Baptist. And the New Living Translation in verse 6 adds those words, the Baptist. But actually, he's never called that. He's just called John. And he's not called the Baptist. Instead, throughout this chapter, he's called one thing. And what is it? He's a witness. In the fourth gospel, he's John the witness. He gives witness. Every time he opens his mouth, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about one far greater than he is, he says. If you know anything about Christian art, whenever John the Baptist is portrayed in Christian art, he's doing exactly what I'm doing now. He's always shown pointing. He's always shown pointing. Because John's whole life was was somehow taken up in that act of pointing to Jesus. Every word out of his mouth, every action that he engages, it's all to point people to Jesus. He's a a, a witness. We think of a witness as someone in, in court, someone who's giving a testimony. And that's exactly what John does. This is his purpose at the beginning of the fourth gospel, to, to give a testimony, to present evidence. And the evidence is to show who Jesus is. And John is the very first witness. He says, I didn't know either. I, I didn't know who he was. I, I didn't know him. I hadn't recognized him yet. But God who called me to baptize also said, you're going to see the Holy Spirit come down on one. You're going to see the Holy Spirit come down on one person. And when you see that happen, you're going to know that's the one. You're going to know that that's the one that your whole life has been pointing toward. That's the one. And John says, I saw it. I saw it. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on this one. And that's how I know that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. That's how I know that he is the one, the light that comes into the darkness. He is the word made flesh. I saw the Holy Spirit come down on him. He's the one. I know he's the one. So that's why he stands and thunders, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's the one. He's the one. His entire life operates simply to point to Christ. Who are you, they say? I'm a voice. I'm a voice. I'm a voice that shouts out, prepare the way of the Lord. As a pastor, one of the things that I am called to do is not just to preach funerals, but if you never noticed this, I also lead the funeral line. Now, that may make me look like I'm a big deal, but do you know why they put the preacher out front? It's dangerous. It's dangerous. 
You see, they put the preacher out front, so that means I get to go into the intersection first. Oh, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. I guess they assume that if anybody's got to go, anybody's got to die today, I should be ready. So they put the preacher in the front. And I guess I've also got a suit on, so if I die today, you know, I can just go right in the box. They put the preacher at the front. Now, there is a police escort while you're in town, but that police escort always drops off at the city limits, and then it's just me. It's me, and I lead, and that's what I'm doing. You understand? I'm leading. I really am putting my car, myself on the line. I go into that intersection first. I go around those turns, and I am the one who leads. And if there's someone that's going to get it plowed over by a combine, it's going to be me. But you understand? that That's my purpose. I'm, I'm clearing a path. When you're leading a funeral like that, I'm actually clearing the path for the one who's greater, for the one that matters. I'm clearing the path for the hearse. And that is my job. I'm just simply there to open up the road, to open up the path. And John says in one way or another, that's his job too. He's called simply to open up a path. It's not so much that John is coming into the world. You understand? That never matters to John. What matters to John is that one greater than he is is coming into the world. And his whole life is going to just clear a path for him. He wants to go before and clear a path for the Lord because the Lord is coming, he says. The light shining in the darkness, prepare your heart. He's going to come down a highway, and that highway is your heart. The highway is your life. Prepare the way of the Lord, John said. His whole life to point to Christ. I'm not John the Baptist and neither are you. But something tells me that there's wisdom in that. And simply knowing that, that your life is not about you and, and truly you're not the big deal. I'm not the big deal. Christ is the big deal. That somehow my life is supposed to be this measured journey of disappearing into Christ. And that's exactly how John operates. That's how he thinks. As things play out, understand Jesus steps in and Jesus emerges and Jesus himself begins to baptize at the Jordan River. Jesus baptizes people. And eventually it gets to where everybody comes to Jesus and they want to get baptized by Jesus. And Jesus' following explodes and John the baptizer's following begins to shrink. And, and people come to John and say, John, what do you think about that? Everybody's leaving us now and going to Jesus. And what does John say? John says, that's what's supposed to happen. I must decrease and he must increase. Do you understand this desire simply to disappear into Christ? Simply to disappear into Christ. This is what my life is meant to do. This is what your life is meant to do. You just need to disappear into Christ. What do you have to say for yourself, they asked John. And John doesn't have anything to say for himself. When John speaks, he wants it to be Jesus' words that get heard. You understand? John doesn't do anything for himself. doesn't baptize for himself. He doesn't preach for himself. He does everything simply out of this desire to disappear into the living word of God, just to disappear into Christ. You understand, this truly is the key to your life. 
Every single day, you becoming less and less while Christ becomes more and more in your life. It's less about how you think. It's more about learning to to have the mind of Christ, learning to think like Christ thinks. It's not about what you want to do with yourself. It's not about you and what you can do. It's about what Christ wants you to do. Having your will, your desires, your purpose just disappear into the purpose of Christ. This is why you're born. This is why you're created. This is calling your name. You've just got to disappear into Christ. When a we cleared the property, had a big groundbreaking for this building that you're sitting in right here. It was a big day. Uh, we were a little church on the other side of the road. I was and am the redneck pastor. Uh, but it was a big day. When we groundbreak at Woodburn, we do it right. We had a bulldozer. No little candy shovel, do you understand? We had a bulldozer. And we broke ground with a bulldozer. It, it was awesome. And Channel 13 News came and interviewed me. I try to act cool about this stuff, but I love that stuff. I love that stuff. I was really nervous. They had me hold my own microphone. You know, it wasn't like, you know, one of those. It was, I held the microphone here. And I tried to talk very calmly about her church and God's vision and the groundbreaking. And again, I acted really calm. It was kind of a big deal to me. I got interviewed. Our church was going to be on the news. Did y'all see that that night at 10 o'clock? Did y'all see my interview? They cut it. <laughs> yeah. They cut it. Yeah. Again, I try to act all cool about this, but like that night I'm home at 10 o'clock. You know, I'm home at 10 o'clock watching. And they get to the story, and there's, there's a bulldozer, there's a bulldozer, and there's our church, there's our people. And there's Jeff Nobles. It's over. They cut my moment. Fida Georges called me the next day and said, Pastor Tim, you were probably looking for yourself. I said, no, no. Was, it, was there something wrong? Yeah, I tried to act like, no. I don't, no. I don't, no. Man, I was looking for myself. It was gone. They lost that footage. Man, my big moment just cut out. Go back to the Gospel of John. I asked you, does it begin with the birth, the baptism, both or neither? Well... It's, it's kind of both. It's not Bethlehem. It's, it's greater than Bethlehem, trying to illustrate that Jesus is the one who's from the very beginning God. I get that. So then we go right to the river, right there to the river with, with John the Baptist, and, and it's John's big moment. It's the greatest thing in his life. He baptized all kinds of people, but he baptized Jesus. He got to baptize Jesus. That's the biggest moment in his whole life. He baptizes Jesus. Exactly where? Where's the part about where Jesus comes down and John says, no, 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 and Jesus says, yes, 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 and where, where is that part where John gets to push Jesus under the, where is that? I'm looking for that. Uh, they lost that footage. They lost that footage. The gospel knows about it. It's the whole part about the Holy Spirit coming down. We know when that happened, but they, 
They lost the footage. It's like John himself gets cut out of the whole picture. It's just Jesus and the Holy Spirit. John's big moment just disappears. It's exactly how John would want that. Do you understand that? It's exactly how John would want that. He spent his whole life trying to disappear. Trying to disappear behind Christ. Trying to disappear into Christ. Who are you? Who are you trying to be? Do you understand that one of these days you're going to stand before God and, and, and God himself will judge you and he's never going to stand you up in front of the whole world and say, Jacob Harris, why weren't you more like your brother Ethan? Is God going to say that? Why weren't you more like Ethan? Do you really think so? Eric Jarbo, why weren't you more like your sister Pam? Is God going to do that? Tim Harris, why weren't you Billy Graham? I don't know, I don't know, I tried. Is that what it's going to be? Why weren't you like other people? Why couldn't you have been more like your grandmother? Why couldn't you have been more like your parents? Why couldn't you have been like somebody else? No, I don't think that's how we'll be judged. You understand? The judgment is based upon our ability not to imitate others, not to fit into their mold for our lives. The goal for your life is to become more like Christ. That The whole issue, the whole question is, are you more or are you less like Christ? The aim of your life is to disappear into him. The aim of your life is to open the pages of this book and find Christ himself calling your name, giving you the, the, the orders for your life. That that's your job, to, to disappear into his word, to disappear into the mind of Christ, to disappear into Christ. You understand what the trouble with your life is? In every single day you live, there's way too much of you and not enough Christ. You've got to disappear into him. You've got to decrease. Have Christ increase. You want to be a real dad for your family? You want to be a real husband? How about tomorrow morning, first thing, let's have a little bit less of you a little bit more Christ. How about it, Dad? You want to be a real woman of God? How about tomorrow? First thing, ma'am, instead of you showing up to work, how about a little bit less you? A little bit more of Christ. You want to make a difference in the world, teenagers? Then get this straight right now. This is not your show. This is not about you. It's not about you figuring out who you are. It is about you disappearing into who Christ is. Figure out who Christ is, and then you will discover who you're meant to be. Disappear into him. Who are you, they said to John the Baptist. He said, I'll tell you. I'm a voice. I'm a voice. Shouting. Prepare the way of the Lord. Pray with me. God, I know one thing. 
everything wrong with this sermon preached today was there was way too much me and not enough Christ. I know one thing. Everything wrong with this church right now is that there's way too much of us and just not enough Christ. I know that the one thing wrong with the marriages in this church is that there's just too much of us and not enough Christ. The one thing wrong with our families is just way too much of us. Not enough Christ. Oh God, teach us how to disappear behind you. Teach us, Lord, how to think in such a way where our thoughts just get lost in your thoughts. Oh God, teach us how to speak in such a way that even though it's, it's our voice that is heard, it is your message that penetrates hearts. Oh God, teach us how to walk in such a way that while other people might see us, truly when they look at us, they're going to see some part of your great face. Oh God, we just want to disappear into you. God, some of us truly don't know who we are. We don't know who we're called to be. We've never opened up the pages of the Bible and heard our own name called. We've never read scripture and suddenly recognized, recognized ourselves, our lives, our purpose. Oh God, today, I pray that the people in the sound of my voice, the people in this house, those with Bibles open in their laps, Lord Jesus, I pray that that word will penetrate into hearts, hearts that need more of Christ. Oh Jesus, I pray right now that teenagers will stop everything else and simply ask the question, Lord, what do you want from my life? I pray, Lord, right now that senior adults in the middle of this prayer with me will stop listening to me and will simply ask you, oh, Lord, God, what do you want from my life? I pray that all of us together, Lord, will spend what remains of this service simply listening for your voice, asking, Lord, what do you want from our lives? Oh, Lord, we don't know the answer, not all of it, but we know it begins with less of us, more of you. We want more of you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, but for our sakes. Amen.